Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. What we need to hear through your word that we might be a people reflecting you to the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Zachariah and Elizabeth, beyond the years of childbearing, get pregnant. And um, much to the joy, I'm sure, of that community, meaning laughter, <laughs> teasing, and all of that, that, uh, that happens when these things occur. And, and, um, and then soon thereafter, soon thereafter, the angel that met with Zechariah in the Holy of Holies in the temple appeared to a young girl. She was maybe 14 years old. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused, disturbed, Mary tried to think what this angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the baby, be, the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. Yes, probably in the neighborhood of 14 to 16 years old. At the moment, at the onset of menses, girls were given to a husband. The arrangements were made and, and it all started and so Mary, just, I mean, think about a 14-year-old. Think about the kids that, uh, that are out there. And, and the angel comes to her and tells her this news. And she's overwhelmed. She doesn't know what to think. She doesn't know what, what to understand about it. 
She probably assumed that down the line, after she and Joseph got married, one thing would lead to another and she'd turn up pregnant. But that wasn't it. She would come forth from that encounter having in her womb implanted the Son of God himself. And that moment was a transformative moment for her. Somehow, some way, she knew that, that she was carrying in her body God's promise for all the ages. And like any 14-year-old, it wouldn't, wouldn't know what to do, didn't know what to do. And much of the story gets unfolded where there's all kinds of confusion. Her betrothed, Joseph, was going to set her aside quietly as if anything could be of that sort could be done quietly in a small community. And a few weeks later, perhaps, she went down to see her, her kinswoman, probably a cousin, Elizabeth, maybe an aunt. And she simply got away for a while. She needed time to process it. And, and Mary, when she approached Elizabeth's home, John, who was at, at least six months at that point in the womb, kicked his mother, Elizabeth, leapt in the, in the womb because his cousin was approaching in the body of Mary. I turn the clock back about 120, 130 years and the virginal conception of Mary was a huge stumbling block in the church. The church around the turn of the 20th century, theologians had become so sophisticated because, because they, they just knew that that's not the way babies come into the world. And so a huge body of skepticism grew up around this story and it's a skepticism that continues to this day. And there are all kinds of explanations. Well, Mary had to have been raped along the way, or perhaps Mary and Joseph came together without anyone knowing. All this kind of speculation. Why it is that this becomes the, perhaps the most difficult of the miracles in the scriptures, I don't know. This is somehow harder than Jesus walking on water or, or healing deaf people or, or even the resurrection. And when I was in seminary, I was listening to a professor, a New Testament professor, telling us how Isaiah 7:14, which is the prophecy that says, uh, behold, the virgin will conceive and you will call his name Emmanuel. Well, the Hebrew word for, for virgin actually is Alma, which means also young woman. And therefore, that's not really a, a messianic prophecy at all. It's not looking forward to a virginal conception or birth or anything of that sort. It's, I remember thinking, and this is when you know, professors own us, 
they define our lives because of their grades and all that sort of thing. I remember thinking, you're wrong. I don't know how, but I'll find out. I'm sure you're wrong. And it was really in my first year of seminary that I came to a point of listening to my professors with skepticism because if they were teaching something that was outside the canons of orthodoxy that we had received through the centuries as Christians, I was going to listen to all of that with a severe skepticism. Not that I would simply dismiss it, although I did dismiss that one element, but I did look into it after that. But that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus, his conception was unique in all of time, his conception, which reflects the, ultimately the Nicene Creed that declares that he is fully God and fully man, and, and these are just things that people don't make up. And yes, there were all kinds of stories about virginal conceptions of heroes, but that was all mythological. None of it was historical. There was no such historical claim. And some of the skeptics think, well, all they did is import that from the pagan world. Since when do Hebrews import anything from the pagan world? If anything, they define themselves over against that which is in, in the pagan world. And so the more I looked at it, and the more I studied it, and the more I asked all the tough questions that we have to ask when we do some research of this sort, the more absolutely convinced I became and have been for my years of ministry that this is a once in history moment. Along the way, I came across this comment from C.S. Lewis. Once his life-giving finger touched a woman without passing through the ages of interlocked events. Once the great glove of nature was taken off his hand. His naked finger touched her. That time, he was creating not simply a man, but the man who was to be himself. God was creating man anew, was beginning the new creation of all things. And that made all the sense in the world. And yet it's such an embarrassment for those who have taken that path of skepticism and call themselves pastors in the church. I read this week, a gentleman named Robin Myers who has written books. He has a book out called, in which he says that we need to stop worshiping Christ and start following Jesus. The, the end result of this kind of thinking is that we set aside Jesus as just one other religious character like, like all the other religions of the world. And we essentially rob this faith of the uniqueness that it has, that has characterized it since, since this, this moment when God met Mary, when God touched her. And in our time, in our 
in our era, this kind of skepticism is welcome. This Robin Myers guy did the Lyman Beecher lectures up at Yale Divinity School, and I thought, what on earth? This is not somebody who is promoting the faith. This is not someone who is undermining the faith. He's robbing the faith of its dignity. And there's no reality to any of this. And they simply argue, well, that's just old fundamentalism. The reason why you believe those things is because of this, this fundamentalism, the inerrancy of the Bible and all of that. And that's not it at all. The reality of the virginal conception of Jesus is not inferred from some sort of a, a hermeneutic, a way of interpreting scripture. It's inferred from the resurrection. The resurrection validates everything about who Jesus was and everything Jesus did. And so we look at the Bible and we see all kinds of wonderful stories, and they, they point us clearly in, an, in a particular direction, and the Bible is infallible as a guide for faith and practice. But it is the resurrection that validates the scriptures. The resurrection validates this as the second greatest miracle of our faith. And it's also alleged at the Old Testament, the Christianity, and I hear this stuff in all the reading that I do, somehow denigrates women. Sigmund Freud wrote about the polarity between what he called the Madonna, and I'm almost, I'm almost hesitant, to, well, I'm not gonna use the word, the Madonna on one side and that on the other side. What is our culture presenting to us? Constantly that. We're constantly getting images of the highly sexualized woman. And, and that emphasis only degrades women into an object, an object of the man's gratification but the scriptures. So Eve is created last after Adam and God are together in the garden and it's just God alone is not good enough. And God says, I've, this, he needs someone. He needs a woman. And then it is the women who are redeemed Tamar is, is rescued when she is set, set out, in the gar, or out into the desert. Rahab, the prostitute, is, is turned into one of the great heroes of the faith listed in the Hebrews, in, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Ruth is remembered as this woman of great faith. Esther saved the Persian Empire, Bathsheba, even though she's not named in the, in the genealogy, she's remembered as the wife of Uriah, and she is granted great dignity for who she was, 
Proverbs 31 enumerates the greatness of the woman. And then we have Mary, who's presented to us as the mother of God. And and then the Apostle Paul himself reaffirms this when he talks about how men should submit themselves to their wives as Christ did to the church, love their wives as Christ loved the church, and, and gave up his life for the church. So all of these arguments I have found are simply arguments that are theologians putting themselves downstream from culture. They have been affected by what the culture is saying. And instead, we are are to look at this as a magnificent account of God's honoring, God's honoring, and putting in the highest stature the woman. Mary. I've shared with you before, sometimes I I repeat stories just because not everyone is here the same, it's not the same crowd every time, but I remember with Dad, on um, Sunday afternoon, Dad's and I would go out, Dad and I would go out and shoot golf balls, and he'd take me to this place called Flaybob Field outside outside of Riverside, where they had home-built aircrafts, aircraft, and and he would show me these old planes and we'd, we'd hit golf balls. But all I remember other than those activities was dad talking about mom. Talking about mom. And as I have surveyed the biblical accounts of men in relationship with women throughout the scriptures, There are, of course, aberrations, particularly among the kings. But the theme that persists and makes its way through is the woman is to be honored and lifted up. And in no small manner, women are better people than we are. And we are to honor that. And the the central example is given to us by this young girl who, without any understanding whatsoever, simply says, let it be to me. Let it be to me according to thy word. Let it be. Will you join me in prayer? And thank you, Father. Thank you that you did it your way. That it was unanticipated, unexpected. And it was through simple acts of obedience and your initiative that brought your son into our world. And so we celebrate together. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.